Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Grace Church here in Franklin, Tennessee. For those of you watching by the internet, we want you to know where we're located. We're at 4052 Arno Road here in Franklin, Tennessee, just minutes south of Nashville, Tennessee. If you are in the Nashville, Tennessee area, we'd love to have you come and worship with us. We have Bible classes at 10 o'clock. Our worship officially begins at 10.45. Even if you're here by 11 or after, you're welcome. We can be viewed on YouTube, Ustream, and Sermon Audio Video. And we also have Bible study on Tuesday evenings at 6.45. This Tuesday evening, I intend to teach on the subject of grace, give you a simple acrostic to follow. And this morning, we're going to be teaching on the gospel objective and historical. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. We'd like to begin our services with the reading of the Word of God. And to do that, our faithful deacon, Joe Moran, will come and lead us in the reading of God's Word and in the prayer, asking the Lord's blessings upon our gathering together today. Brother Moran. To my, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, good morning. Good morning. Reading from Psalm 100. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures to all generations. Let us pray. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we come into your courts with singing and praise. Lord, be with us this day. Bless this service. Touch each one of us here, Lord, and that we might receive your word into our hearts. Bless us and keep us. Be with our pastor as he breaks the bread of life to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Church, good morning. Grace Church here and abroad. Welcome to everybody. Can y'all stand up with me? Number 205 in the hymnal, Once for All. Free from the law, oh, happy condition. Jesus hath bled and there is remission. Once for all, oh brother, believe it. Cling to the 
perfect salvation. Come unto me, oh, here as we go. How many saves us once for all? Oh, once for all, oh, sinner receive it. Once for all, oh, brother believe it. Cling to the cross, the burden will fall. Christ hath redeemed us once for all. Children of God, oh, glorious calling. Surely His grace will keep us from falling. Passing from death to life at His call. Blessed salvation once for all. Oh, once for all. say amen. Amen. Okay, you all can be seated and we'll have some announcements. Well, good morning, Grace Church family. It's good to see each and every one of you today. I'd like to say a welcome to all of those who have tuned in by internet and hope that you will feel Welcome and a part of the ministry here as we seek to worship our God together. I want to remind you of some of the announcements that we have. We want to remember our brother Todd Horton and his wife Pam as they travel. It's the reason he's not here to make the announcements, so let's remember them. And also a happy note, Amanda Burchett, granddaughter of Charlie and Betty Haynes, delivered uh, a daughter, Haley Renee Burchette, which is 20 and a quarter inches long, eight pounds, one ounce, and was born around 12.20 p.m. on Wednesday, September the 13th, 2023. Praise the Lord, both mother and baby are fine. This child is in for a blessed life because we share a birthday. <laughs> I know that's a good day, so she'll... All right, we want to also uh, remember Ed and Brenda Adamowitz uh, as he undergoes uh, different treatments. He has a surgery scheduled uh, for October the 2nd, so let's remember him in that upcoming surgery. Glad that he is with us today and uh, pray that the Lord will bless that surgery to accomplish what it's intended. Also want to remember our sister Shirley Murphys, who is here with us today. Always glad to see her smiling face. You're, you're welcome. Uh, want to remember uh, Lee and Judy Barton. Lee did receive uh, a treatment for pain, but it does not seem to have been very effective. So he is... Uh, Still undergoing chemo treatments on a regular basis, and they pretty much take a toll on him physically. So let's continue to uplift uh, our brother Lee and his wife Judy as she ministers to his needs. Also want to remember uh, Shannon Hazelwood's stepfather, Clyde Perrigan, 
as well as Shannon, who is homesick today. I also want to remember our sister Marie Dalton uh, and David Simmons, who is diagnosed with kidney cancer. We continue to remember Sue Martin. Glad that she is. Okay. You ever, you ever had that moment you turn and think, whoa. <laughs> I thought I had seen Sue earlier. Okay, we're all right. I'll be okay one day. And uh, again, as Pastor mentioned, want to uh, remind you of the Tuesday evening Bible study at 645 on Tuesday evenings. And you ladies and gentlemen, an announcement for both of you. The Ladies Fellowship Luncheon will be September 20th from 11 to 1.30. And uh, it will be at the Foster's home. Okay, we got it this time. And if you need a phone number or the address and so forth, if you look out on the round table in the foyer, you'll find the phone numbers and the address uh, so that you can attend. And if the ladies have as much fun and are blessed in their study and fellowship as the men have been in theirs, you want to be there. Because <laughs> we have a good time. Uh, at the same time, which brings me to this, the men's fellowship will be on the same day, the 20th, September, same time, 11 to 1.30, and they'll meet here at the uh, fellowship hall. And unlike the ladies, the food will be provided for them. You guys are going to have to bring your own. <laughs> You're on your own. So uh, we had a good time last time we met together out here, though. We had uh, some sandwiches and uh, uh, some tea and just uh, had a good fellowship. And uh, hopefully you'll make time, if you have it available, if you're not working, make time to come and fellowship uh, with God's people, whether you're a, a woman or a man. It'll be good for you. Also, want to remind you that in case you would like to support the ministry of Grace Church, you may do so by placing your offering or gifts in the box that's located, again, in the uh, foyer on the round table. All right. Okay, everybody. Well, Sue was originally going to try and travel this weekend to East Tennessee to be with her family, but she wasn't able to make it. And Keith had already agreed to play with us, so he's going to play this song with us. And then he has a special that he's going to do this morning for us, which I know everybody always looks forward to. But we're going to do How Great Is Our God. So Keith, you can go ahead and kick us off. splendor of a king clothed in majesty let all the earth rejoice all the earth rejoice he wraps himself in light and darkness tries to hide Trembles at his voice, trembles at his voice. I'll sing. How great is our God, 
sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great how great is our God age to age he stands and time is in his hands beginning and the end beginning and the How great is our God. That's a beautiful song. All right, our brother Keith is going to treat us to a special. All right, good morning, everyone. Um, I want to sing a song for you that I wrote a while ago. Um, it's called Follow Me, and it is based on um, Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. And... Uh, I was just um, singing through the song, and I w- it just struck me how compassionate and loving that our God is, that um, he bids us to follow him. And even knowing that it's going to be a hard road, it's going to be um, something that we're going to have to be willing to give up our lives for. But even so, he, he bids us to follow him and... Um, 
because he knows that that is where true life is found, is in him and not in anything else. to come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever desires to say his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it follow me follow me follow me Follow me, follow me, follow me. If anyone desires to come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it follow me follow me follow me follow me follow me
Keith, do you have a CD? <laughs> um, we need to get him in the studio if he doesn't have one and get a uh, CD. Yeah, I need to get we in the studio. all enjoy that music. Brother Turner, would you come get this for me, please? Now, where's Lynn? All right, Lynn, you come up here. Lynn has made a request. I don't know exactly what, but uh, I'm going to let her come up and talk to you. You get your mic over there. It's about September birthdays, I think. Okay. You need a mic. Need a mic. Use that microphone, please, honey. <laughs> I can do it. Okay, well, we just want to say happy birthday <laughs> and uh, happy anniversary. Y'all's anniversary? How many years? 58? Did you say 58 or 68? 58. <laughs> 58. That's almost as long as we've been married. We've been married a long time. But anyway, I want to, let's sing. Happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday everybody, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, God bless you. Happy birthday to you. And then we'll sing happy anniversary. All the birthdays will sing out. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Happy, 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 happy. Happy anniversary, happy, 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 happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary, happy anniversary. Alright, y'all are done. So what we'll do is just the whole month, we'll say birthday, all September birthdays, and all August, you know, all that, just one time. Okay? And it'll probably be the first Sunday of the month that we'll congratulate everybody born in that month, okay? We're going to try that, Because okay? <laughs> we get, we forget sometimes and people's feelings get hurt. You can believe that or not. <laughs> I won't, I won't be, my feelings won't be hurt if you commit mine. I've got too many right now, so be fine with me. Let's stand together, please. While you're standing, for those of you who are worshiping here with us, we have a beautiful NIV translation Bible up here, and we don't know who it belongs to. If it belongs to anyone, it is brand new. It ha doesn't have any writing or any presentation or notes or anything on it. But if that Bible belongs to you, we're going to put it down here on the Lord's table and... Uh, if it is, doesn't belong to anyone, we'll put it back in our, in our book room, which it may, may be where it, uh, where it goes. 
I'd like for you to open your Bibles this morning to the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, a very familiar text of chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, delighted to see all of you here today. I want to bring up to your attention again some of the people that Brother Turner mentioned. Benny Hargrove is ill. He's always here. He and Teresa, I want you to pray for Benny. And of course, I want you to especially remember Lee Barton. Ed, we're so glad to see you today. We want to continue to pray for Ed Adamowitz and his wife, Brenda. Shirley, we're glad to see you here today. And then we want to remember, of course, uh, uh, Amanda and William and their first child born this week. I don't see Dale Hazelwood and Shannon. Does anybody know anything about them, whether they're sick or ill? I don't see them here today. He's up there. There he is up there in the room. All right, Dale, well, you were hiding from me, so I didn't see. Glad you're here today. Todd and Pam Horton are in Utah. Uh, I think they're going to be uh, going out there taking a course in Mormonism. I'm not sure, but uh, you tell Todd that when he gets back. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm glad to see all of you who are here today, and we want to welcome all who are joining us by the internet. Brethren, verse 1, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you and which you have received and wherein you stand by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. He was seen of Cephas, that's Peter, and then of the twelve, and after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain, they are alive, remain alive until this present time. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let God's people say, praise the Lord. And we'll sing, Father, I stretch my hands to Thee. All right? Father, I stretch my hand to Thee. No other help I know. If I withdraw Myself from thee, whither shall I go? Thank you. You may be seated. When I left my subdivision this morning to come this way, I was forced to take a right-hand turn rather than the usual left-hand turn I take to get here, coming out by way of Liberty Pike. 
When I took the right-hand turn, that means I have to go through part of downtown Franklin. I was absolutely amazed by the number of people who were already out hustling and bustling up and down the sidewalks of downtown Franklin. Scores of people all dressed out in their shorts and their slacks and their tennis shoes and in their t-shirts. Probably the biggest day of business now is Sunday. Probably more businesses, in fact, many businesses now have taken the closing on Monday. And they're going to open on Sunday. Recent statistics say that about 36% of the American population can be found somewhere in worship on Sunday morning. 36%. We have, what, 370, 380 million people in this nation, and only 36%, probably that's high, can be found somewhere praising the God who gives them their next breath. Now, I've mentioned previously in some studies that not too long ago, the main line churches in the West have exchanged the glory of God for the souls of men. That is, the motive, the method, and the goal of the church has always been the glory of God. But then it was changed gradually. The main motive of the church now, salvation of the souls of men. Now, I gladly acknowledge that the salvation of the souls of men brings glory to God. But the salvation of the souls of men cannot be substituted as the main motive and goal and purpose of the church cannot be exchanged for what has always been and what is biblically the purpose of the church, and that is the glory of God. When the salvation of men or when men getting people into the church, getting them into the buildings, when that becomes the main purpose of church, of churches, then the methods change. The Bible tells us it has pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Not foolish preaching, but the foolishness of preaching. Not by entertainment, not by flashing lights, not by outstanding bands and vocalists. By the foolishness of preaching, God is pleased to save his people from their sins. My dear friends, the world exists for the glory of God. Everything exists for the glory of God. And even though we want to see people saved, that cannot be substituted for the glory of God. 
When you substitute something for the glory of God, then you substitute the method and the manner and the means for that particular end. Now, in Romans chapter 1, if you want to turn there, I'm going to read something to you from Romans chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 21 of Romans chapter 1, When they knew God, they glorified Him not as God. I'll explain that to you in a moment. They were not thankful, but they became vain of their imaginations. And as a result of that, their heart was darkened. Now, the darker their heart, the more they thought they were getting wise. Verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, that is, in the sight of God. And they changed, literally, they exchanged, verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed beast and creeping things. Now, Paul tells us here in verse 21 that God must be glorified as God by hearts which are indeed thankful that He is indeed God. Otherwise, men will begin to imagine, he tells us, God to be something and someone he is not. They will begin to imagine God to be more like a human being, more like us. And so when we do that, we begin to create God in our image. And the next step, he says, will be to imagine God to be like birds or beasts or creeping things. And when this process is allowed to continue, we will imagine that God is the world, the created universe, that's called pantheism, that God is really not a personality at all, but an energy, a force, a mindless power. When a goal or a purpose is changed, so are the methods and the means to reach it. Regarding the glory of God, we're clearly told that we must structure the church and its teachings upon the Scriptures upon the revealed will of God and not upon pragmatism. Pragmatism is the philosophy that if whatever you do works, then that's what you do. If whatever you do works, if, it, if that is bring, brings success, and of course success is determined by what your goal is. If your goal is to get multitudes into the church and if your goal is to have everything that we have today in our churches, 
then of course you do what you got to do to get them in there. God forbid that you exegete and open up and reveal the Scriptures. God forbid that a pastor spend any time studying and praying and weeping before God over the souls of men. God forbid that. No, we're interested in entertaining people on their way into eternity. So if whatever works, works, if it achieves the desired ends, that's the road the church should take, we're told today. And so men begin to imagine that God is pleased. If multitudes come to buildings, if members are added to the local church, regardless of how or by what means they are added, Church membership, walking an aisle, getting somebody baptized, talking a person into a profession of faith. Anything is acceptable if men and women are added to the church roles. But if the goal, if the purpose, if the very being of the church is the glory of God, then the means to that is a regenerated church membership. That is, the biblical goal of any local church should be a congregation of born-again or regenerated souls, not just a building full of people. Now today, in the time allowed, I want us to explore one of the major errors which not only marks a false gospel, but it hurts those of you who know the Lord and are trusting Him. It hurts you in your journey through this world. It hurts you in the means of assurance, of coming to some assurance that you are indeed a child of God. What is this, the subject of a sentence. You remember when you were in school and you learned about the subject and the predicate and the nouns and the verbs and the adjectives? The subject of the sentence is what the sentence is about. The subject of the world and even the church, the world has crept into the church, is now man. So when I use the term subjective, I am referring to anything that is under my control, number two, that can be measured by my experience, number three, anything that is within me, all of that is subjective. If it's under my control, if it can be measured by experience, if it is within or under me, it is subjective. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 14. In the Old Testament. Those of you who don't have a Bible, there is a pew Bible there. Should be in front of you. Isaiah chapter 14. And I, I may have to go into this next week, and that will be all right if, if we don't finish today, because I want you to understand exactly what I'm saying as far as I get today. The first point I want to make to you in this message, the first major point is this. Sin is subjective. Sin 
is subjective. Now look at Isaiah chapter 14. This is about Lucifer, he says, in verse 12. Okay? Lucifer said, verse 13, he said in his heart, I will, not God's will, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will Said also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Now, sin has been defined by theologians. They wrestle with it as, as hard as it seems to us. It is a difficult subject. Sin has been defined basically as self Ishness. Self ishness. You notice that I is the middle word, the middle letter in the word sin. S I N. You'll notice that I is used five times here by Lucifer or by whoever is intended as being identified as Lucifer, mentioned five times, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. We find when we read the book of Genesis 3 and verse 10 that Adam, who had been filled with the Spirit of God, he had been totally God-conscious. He'd been taken up with God and with the glory of God, in the love of God, walking with the Lord, talking with the Lord, filled with the Lord by the Spirit of the Lord, he became self-conscious when he sinned against God. Genesis 3.10, the Lord God called unto Adam and said, Where are you? And he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Look how much he's talking about I. When questioned about what he had done, he showed the degree to which he was focused on himself by sacrificing his wife to save himself and by blaming God for his trouble. Who told you you were naked? Said the Lord, hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I did eat. Sin causes the son and the daughters of Adam and Eve to focus upon themselves. The self becomes the center of existence. One of the biggest courses now in the United States is a course on self-esteem. You might think I'm crazy, but one thing we don't need is a course in self-esteem. The subject, self, becomes the object rather than God and Christ and the glory of God. Sin and subjectivity go hand in hand. Now, what I want to tell you this morning is that the gospel 
is the remedy for the problem of subjectivity. Subjectivity, self, is the enemy of faith. Subjectivity blocks assurance. Subjectivity closes tight the door of salvation. After all, if I'm happy where I am, why should I go into another room? If I'm okay like I am, why do I need God? You see, Christ is for people who have a need. Christ is for people who find themselves lost. Christ is for people who find themselves under the judgment of God and they can't do anything about it. Christ is for people who are commanded to believe and they can't believe. They're commanded to repent and they can't repent because they're too full of self. So now we've reduced the gospel to using Jesus to escape hell. That's all Jesus is good for today. He's just good for escaping hell. Never mind living for him. Never mind serving him. Never mind putting your life on hold that he might be glorified. Putting my life on hold that he might be glorified. Oh no, Jesus exists for my sake rather than I exist for his sake. My friends, that is a different gospel. That's what makes it so dangerous because it mimics the true gospel. It resembles the true gospel. It's a counterfeit for the true gospel. Subjectivity is the enemy of faith. Subjectivity blocks assurance. Subjectivity will close tight the door of salvation. Why do I need God's salvation if I'm happy and contented in myself? That's why it doesn't make any sense when you tell a general audience... You tell them a few stories, you tell them a few little illustrations, you tell them a joke, you do something like that. Then at the end of the service you say, now we don't, we don't want to leave here unless you give you an opportunity to accept Jesus. Well, why would I want to accept Jesus? I don't need him. I'm not hell bound. I'm not walking the floor at night because I'm lost. I'm not worried about the judgment of God on me. Why do I, what do I need with Jesus? Well, I'll just use him as a spare tire. You know, your spare tire is in your trunk in case you need it. You know you don't ever think you're going to need it. You hope you don't need it. Most of us forget it's even back there, but it's there in case it's an emergency, and that's what we have today. We have an emergency Jesus. Just in case there is a God, just in case he did create us, just in case he's upset and angry with human beings because they've sinned against him, just in case we've got a spare tire gospel. We've got a spare tire Jesus. The gospel is the remedy for the problem of subjecting everything to self. It is the remedy for that. We just read 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let's turn back over there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right. He says, Brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. He said, I preached it to you. He said, you received it. He said, you stand in it. And he said, you'll be saved by it. 
if it really penetrated you, if it really penetrated you, you'll keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. And I've told you a little bit of how you can believe in vain. I delivered unto you, first of all, what I received. Christ died for our sins. Now, the first thing I want to point out is this, to hear the gospel, to hear the gospel with the heart, with the soul, to hear the gospel as a sinner who needs to be saved, to hear the gospel is to enter into salvation. Many years ago, I asked a pastor about a certain deacon when I was traveling a lot and doing meetings. And I asked this pastor, I said, do you think brother so-and-so here knows the Lord? And he said, brother Sasser, I think he knows the Lord. I just think he doesn't know the gospel. Well, in my way of thinking, that is an impossibility. Because it says here in verses 1 through 4 that the means by which one learns of the, the Christ is through the gospel. And if you learn of the Christ and you hear about the Christ and you believe it about the Christ, you've entered into salvation. If the gospel is not proclaimed, Christ cannot be revealed. If Christ is not revealed upon which a hearer believes, there is no salvation. Have we reached a point that we think that the Spirit of Christ will bless any religious talk? Will He just empower any gospel that happens to mention God, happens to mention Jesus, happens to say something about the Spirit of the Lord? I believe that these three stand or fall together, Jesus and the gospel and the Spirit. And if any of these three is erroneous, pseudo, false, counterfeit, then all three are erroneous. And converts who believe it are converted to error. Consequently, they are not converted to God. To hear the gospel is the means of salvation. Now, what I want you to see is that the gospel is both objective and historical. So what does objective mean? If subjective means something that's in me or under my control, objective means something that is out of me and beyond my control. The gospel is something outside of human experience. The gospel is historical. Let me tell you what I mean by that. The gospel, when Christ died on the cross, that's a reality that actually happened, that actually was observed, and that has been recorded in history as a matter of fact. 2,000 years ago, a real person in history died on a cross. What he accomplished for his people was done 2,000 years ago. It was observed, and it has been recorded here in the Scriptures as a matter of historical fact. Now, you'll notice he says that Christ died, that's past tense. Christ died, verse 3, it's got an E-D on it. He died for our sins. 
Now that's something that's past tense, so it's historical, it happened in history, completely outside of my experience. It's the fulfillment of prophecies. It's recorded in an objective book, the Bible. Christ died for my sins. He was buried with my sins, and he arose the third day without my sins. Because if he had any sins on him, he could not have been resurrected. His resurrection attests or testifies or is a testimony that God accepted what he did and what he offered, and so he raised him from the dead. You following me? He was buried with our sins. He arose the third day without our sins. Now, Christ's resurrection has been verified by witnesses outside my experience. And that's what you have in verses 5 through 8. He was seen of Peter in verse 5. He was seen of the 12 in verse 5. He was seen of over 500 people at one time. Now, it might be possible for a person, maybe even two or three people, to have some kind of uh, vision <laughs> that's false, but not 500. 500 people saw Jesus alive after they saw him buried and put in the tomb. They saw him alive. This is a witness in history outside of our experience. You weren't standing there when Jesus died. That's outside of your experience. That's objective. It has nothing to do with my experience or with yours. So listen now, let's go back. Sin is subjective. Sin causes the sons and the daughters of Adam to focus upon the self. But salvation is objective. Salvation, the gospel message of salvation says, look away. Don't look in here. Don't look at your experience. Don't try to find an experience with Jesus, but look away. Here's what an old hymn writer wrote. Tis a point I long to know. Often it causes me anxious thought. Do I love the Lord or no? Am I his or am I not? If I love, that is if I love the Lord, why am I thus? Why this dull and lifeless frame? Hardly sure can they be worse who have never heard his name. Could my heart so hard remain and prayer a task and burden prove, and every trifle give me pain if I knew a Savior's love? When I turn my eyes within, now that's subjective. When I turn my eyes within, he said, all is dark and vain and wild. You know what I see in here? Filled with unbelief and sin. Can I deem myself a child? If I pray or hear or read, sin is mixed with all I do. You that love the Lord indeed, tell me, is it thus with you? I mean, isn't that why the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I can't do what I want to do? What I don't want to do, I find myself doing? Why is that, Paul? Because he said, in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. 
There's nothing in here but sin and unbelief. Well, let's examine this quickly. What does this mean to us on a practical level? First of all, as I've already indicated, the objective historical biblical gospel requires me to look away from myself. Would you like to turn to Romans chapter 5? I can quote these things to you, but I'd like for you to see them. Romans chapter 5. And I will read them to you anyway, whether you can turn to them or not. The objective historical gospel requires me to look away from myself. The gospel, believing it and preaching it, has nothing to do with my experience. Experience or feeling has become the big word today in every aspect of life, even in the church. Have you experienced Jesus? Did you have a good experience this morning at worship? Did you feel elevated? Did you feel, well, I don't know. Not in myself. Because there's no amount of celebration and singing. And I, I love music, but there's no amount of any of that that can cheer my heart if the gospel isn't preached. I have to hear about somebody who did something for me outside my experience. And here it is, Romans chapter 5. Verse 18, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men to justification of life. I have to clarify something, and I, I don't want to confuse anybody, but the first man was who? Who was the first man? Adam. We all know that, right? Right? And the whole human race came out of Adam, didn't it? Right? But the second man that came into history was Christ. The millions of souls had already been born when Christ came. So the all men in Adam and the all men in Christ cannot refer to the same group of all men. You understand what I'm saying? I need to do more, more uh, comment about that, but I, I'm limited this morning. Let's look at it again. Verse 18, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men who are in Christ under justification of life. For as by one man, disobedience, verse 19, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. All right, now let's look at something. And this is going to be a little offensive to you at first, but hang on till we get to the end of it. Am I a sinner because of something I have done? Yes and no. According to these verses and others, I sinned in Adam. Therefore, I was born a sinner, and being born a sinner, I sin. 
According to the Bible, because I am a sinner because of something that happened outside my experience. Bottom line, I am a sinner because God tells me in his word that I am a sinner. I may not feel like a sinner. I may not look like a sinner. I may not believe I am a sinner. I may not accept the account of the Bible that I am a sinner, but that has nothing to do with the fact that I am a sinner. Because God says I'm a sinner. And I'm a sinner because He says I am. We can wrestle and talk about how did I get to be this way all you want to. The fact is, God says we are sinners and that's what we are because God says we are. And I sin because I'm a sinner. I do not become a sinner when I sin. In fact, I could not sin if I were not a sinner. I had a brother tell me recently that he had talked to a man that told him, look, after you're saved, you're no longer a sinner. Oh, yes, you are. You may not be a sinner willingly. When you're, when you're lying on your bed taking your last gasp, you may be fighting it for all you're worth. You may be clinging to stay here, but the fact is sin's going to get you. And you, it's going to get you. You're going to die because you are a sinner. <laughs> now, if you're not a sinner, you're never going to die. It's just that simple. I could not sin were I not a sinner. I could not die if I were not a sinner. So listen now. No man and no woman will ever know by experience the full depth of sin. That is within them. You'll never know. Paul the apostle, the longer he lived, the worse he said he was. I know I'm a sinner. Listen now. I know I'm a sinner because I believe God. That's how I know I'm a sinner. Not because I feel like I'm a sinner. Not because I look like a sinner. Not because I act like a sinner. Although all of that is true. <laughs> I might be deceiving myself and say, well, I don't look too bad compared to other folks, you know. Al Capone, well, a house of ill repute. I hadn't done that. Al Capone ran uh, bootleg whiskey. I haven't done that. Al Capone had people killed. I've never done that. Well, I might not have done what Al Capone did, but I'm still a sinner. And I'm a sinner because God says I am. Now let's turn this around. Am I saved because of something I have done? I said I'm not a sinner because I personally did something. Something happened outside of my experience, and the Bible says I did it, but it was in my substitute. It was in Adam. I was in Adam, and when Adam sinned, I sinned in him. I came out of him, and you did too. That's why you're born sinners. Babies aren't born innocent. They're born sinners. 
Now, I'm not a sinner because of something I've done, and I'm not redeemed because of something I've done. You can't have it both ways. You've got to have it one way for both. Verse 18 again, by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. By the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men, that is, all men who believe, all men who are in Christ, under justification of life, as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. By the obedience of one, many should be made righteous. Now listen, I am redeemed by someone who did something totally outside of my experience. Romans 5.18, by the righteousness of one. Romans 5.19, by the obedience of one. Salvation is not by experience. But now let me reverse that and tell you that salvation is by experience. It's just not your experience. I am saved by his experience as he endured the judgment of God upon the cross. Now this is important. I'm not splitting hairs here, because if you don't understand the objectivity of the gospel, you'll never be able to have true biblical assurance. The only place you can find whether or not you're saved is by believing the Word of God. When you look in here, you're going to always have doubts. Well, I don't do this, yeah, but you do that, your conscience will say. You'll argue with yourself. Well, I don't do that. I, my intentions were good here, yes, but they weren't, in, they weren't, in, they weren't good here, over here. You always have doubts. You can't find any assurance of your salvation in here. You can only find it looking out of yourself to an objective Christ presented objectively in an objective word outside of your experience. Isaiah 53, the famous chapter of the suffering servant, emphasizes the suffering of the servant. It's by the travail of his soul that many are justified. That's why in the New Testament, the apostles scarcely mention their experiences. They're constantly preaching his experience. Salvation is by works, just not mine. It's by the works of Christ. He, literally, as a man, Jesus, who is the Christ, literally worked his way to heaven. All the glory that he receives, he earned it. So listen, my friends, I'm not saved because I feel saved. I'm saved because God tells me I'm saved. I'm saved by the travail of his soul, not the travail I experience in my soul. I can never be convicted enough about my own sin, though I fight with it. Just as I can never know by experience the full depravity of my soul, I can never know by experience in this life the full magnitude and scope of my great salvation through the grace of God by the sufferings of God's Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I know I am saved because I believe God. That's important. The gospel has nothing to do with my human experience. It's objective and it's historical. The only experience I'm concerned about is the experience of my substitute. And that's why in preaching the gospel, 
See if you can follow me now. That's why in preaching the gospel, I don't ask people to do some subjective thing. Like walk an aisle. Make a decision. Make a profession. Join a church. That's all subjective. I need to be about telling people what God has said and what God has done in, by, and through Lord Jesus Christ and encouraging them to believe on Him. As He says in Isaiah 45, 22, Look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. I am God and there is none else. Look away from yourself. Away from your experience. The devil can give you an experience. You have to tell your feelings. You have to tell your experience. You have to tell everybody else. You have to tell this world. I don't care what you say. I don't care what you throw my way. I believe God. And he says, if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I belong to him. Now, that's good news for me. That's why I don't lead people and praying to send us prayer because only a sinner can pray a sinner's prayer. And ain't nobody going to be no sinner unless God makes him a sinner. Unless the Spirit of God makes you a sinner. If you're a sinner, you'll be able to pray a sinner's prayer. And I'll tell you this, if you ever made a sinner, you will pray a sinner's prayer. <laughs> you throw a man off of an ocean line in the middle of the ocean, what do you think he'll do? Well, he'll start screaming and hollering. He'll start saying, throw me a life raft. Throw me a lifesaver. And he won't mean one of those little pieces of candy. <laughs> throw me something. I'm off the ship. I'm lost. There's sharks out here. Uh, maybe a whale come by and swallow me up like Jonah. Help me, help me, help me. It's as natural for a sinner to call on God as it is for a dying man to call out for the doctor. People aren't calling on God today. They're not seeking the Lord because they're not sinners. And they're not sinners because they don't believe God when he says they're sinners. They're looking for an experience and they're getting them. The devil's giving multitudes experiences. Brother Sass, are you denying totally experience? Of course not. You live in this world. You have experiences. I'm just saying don't trust in them. <laughs> I'm saying the only ground of your salvation is the Word of God. You're not a sinner because you feel like a sinner. I've known people who never could find any assurance for salvation. I had a pastor friend years ago who told a man, he said, I just, I'm seeking the Lord. I just can't find any assurance. I just don't have any assurance that I belong to the Lord. And, and, and the man, the pastor said, let me tell you what you do. He said, are you listening to me? Yes, sir, I'm listening. He said, quit looking for assurance and look to Christ. Quit looking to assurance. Quit looking in here to see what, if you're a Christian or not. And look to Christ. Because Christ came into the world to save sinners. And brother, I'm a sinner. Let me tell you, faith is not a one-time thing. People say you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saved. Listen, if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to believe on him every day. You will believe on him every day. When you were born, you took your breath, right? Was that the only breath you ever took? No, you got to keep on breathing. And you will keep on breathing if you want to stay alive. 
Now, I had an aunt one time. She could hold her breath until she passed out. I don't have that kind of willpower. <laughs> but she could hold her breath. She threw a temper at them. She'd hold her breath until she passed out. Don't try it. <laughs> you see, what I'm saying is it doesn't matter how you feel. It's what God says. And that's good news to me. Because feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. Deceiving. There's only one thing you can trust. Not else is worth believing. And that's the word of God. That's the word of God. In the first place, men are unbelievers. Therefore, they do not believe they are sinners. Why? Because they don't believe God's word. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who seek God, no, not one. So I asked, do men seek God? No. So if anybody's seeking God, what does that mean? It means God's doing something with them. Somebody calling on the Lord means the Lord's involved with them. Somebody coming to some understanding of the truths of the Word of God, interested in the Word of God, it means the Lord is dealing with them. I don't get people to pray the sinner's prayer, walk an aisle, sign a card, raise their hand. Did God say do that to be saved? No. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. We tell people what God has said about sin. We tell people what God has done about sin. And we tell them to repent and to believe the gospel. And they will be saved. Well, I'm going to close there today. May the Lord add his blessings, the preaching of his word. Let me say this to all of you. Stand together with me. The Bible teaches that people who are Christians are believer priest. Believer priest. The priest was the one who could go into the presence of God. You don't need a priest, another human being, to confess your sins to. If you're a believer, like the old man said, six months ago I couldn't spell priest, now I is one. <laughs> if you're a believer, you are a priest. And you have access into the presence of God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're doing that because you believe God's objective word. Not because you feel like you're worthy to go into his presence, but because you believe the word of God. So much confusion today, even about the spirit of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord is invisible. His work is only known by the effects of it. People think that jumping up and down and shouting and waving their hands, that's evidence of the Spirit of God. It is not. The Spirit of God comes upon you in a silent, invisible way and fills you with His presence. And when He fills you with His presence, you will be wholly concerned with Christ. You'll be taken up with the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll want more of Christ. That's what you'll want if you are a believer. So I encourage you, quit looking to yourself, quit thinking about experience.
look away, you look to him who 2,000 years ago died on that cross, put away the sins of his people, was buried, and he rose again the third day, which is the evidence that God accepted everything he did on behalf of those for whom he did it. And if you can believe in him, if you can cast yourselves on him for all of your salvation, he did it for you. I'd like to us to sing in closing today an ancient hymn. Larry, are you able to put that on the board this morning? It's, a, it's an ancient hymn of today. Now, this ancient hymn is sung to the old melody of the doxology. Okay? Let's try to sing this together in closing. We do it very Great God, be blessed thy name by thee. 